John chapter 18, verses 33 to 36. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. This is God's word. Tonight we have this very riveting moment to contemplate and consider. The moment when Jesus, already at this point desperately tired and already thoroughly mocked, and beaten and mistreated, has been delivered to the man who had authority to decide over his life, whether he would live or die. The Jewish high priests and leaders couldn't pull off an execution on their own, certainly not of a popular public figure like Jesus, so they were forced to hand him over to Pilate, the Roman governor, And not only did they hand over Jesus, but they also whispered along to Pilate the one charge that they knew would really stick, that this man claimed to be a king and therefore a rival to Caesar. They knew that that charge would stick because there were few things in Roman sensibilities that were more detestable than rebellion. And so suggesting to Pilate that he had the ringleader of a bunch of rebels on his hands was a cold and calculating move on Jesus' opponent's part. The only thing was, Jesus wasn't really acting like the leader of a bunch of rebels. We would expect somebody in that position, if asked by the governor a question like, are you a king? to respond with some fiery indignation and anger. Yeah, you bet I am. And if you take me down, believe me, buddy, you're going to light a fire so big that you'll never be able to put it out. But of course, that's not what Jesus does, and it's not what he says. In fact, strangely enough, in response to Pilate's question, Jesus asks a question of his own. Where did you get this idea that I'm a king? That is not really the play that we would expect. Not the play of vehement indignation, digging in his heels. Not the play of miserable, pathetic groveling and whimpering for mercy. It seems rather like the play of a man who knew that he was totally in control of the entire situation. And yet, almost inexplicably was unwilling to do anything to extricate himself from it. Of course, you and I know that that is exactly the case. And it becomes doubly clear when Pilate snaps back and says, in essence, I'm the one who gets to ask questions around here, Buster. And Jesus gives him a real whopper. My kingdom is not of this world. Now imagine this from Pilate's perspective. How in the world is he supposed to make sense of this? He has in front of him a real, live, flesh-and-blood human being 
whom he can see with his eyes, hear with his ears, smell with his nose, reach out and touch him, pinch him if he wanted to. He's very clearly in this world with Pilate, and yet he says that he is a king whose kingdom is not of this world. How is Pilate to make sense of that? And how would you and I make sense of that as well? Doesn't seem like the normal thing a king would say, but of course that is exactly the point. Here is Jesus, the king of all, and yet his kingdom is not like the kingdoms as we think of them and as they play out before our eyes on the stage of world history. His is a kingdom that is indeed very much in this world. It is in the hearts of each one of us who have been called by his gospel, and yet it is not a kingdom that is of this world. It does not fit the mold of kings and kingdoms that we know and read about, whether it be Pilate the governor and Caesar in Rome, or King Louis XIV, or any of the American presidents, or something like that. Jesus' kingdom operates on a different plane entirely. And if we can grasp and understand this in, yet not of, the world that is the unique and distinctive mark of God's kingdom, well, it'll be really helpful for us because it will clear up a bunch of misconceptions we might otherwise have about how our God intends to work in this world of ours. For starters, it will clear up this common misconception, that the kingdom of God can be equated directly with a particular moment in time or people or nation, whether that be something like Old Testament Israel or Rome at the time when the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity or the German and Scandinavian lands at the time of the Reformation or popularly here for many years with the United States of America. The fact of the matter is that the kingdom of God is just not contiguous with the boundaries of any sort of nation or people or moment in time. In fact, that is exactly what we would want because, as you can see, nations and empires rise and fall, come and go, and yet the kingdom of God has outlived and outlasted them all. Isn't that what we really want? We crave and long for some durable footing underneath us, some place where we can take our stand, where the ground beneath us is not going to move. And the reality is that if the ground on which we think we can take a firm stand is any particular nation or empire or king or prince of this world, well, then we're really on shaky ground. And we never know when that ground on which we're standing is going to crumble right beneath our feet. We have something so much better because we belong to Christ's kingdom, a kingdom which goes beyond mere earthly reigns, a kingdom that is indeed here in this world and yet is not of this world, and therefore it is a kingdom that is durable and enduring, a kingdom that will outlive and outlast every earthly empire and nation and people. This is the kingdom to which we belong. And if it extends throughout time, it's also a wonderful, beautiful reality that this kingdom that Christ reigns over is not bound by space either. 
It's not like the way this world works, where there are so many things that separate people one from another or nation from nation. No, the kingdom of Christ extends to the far reaches of the earth. And here, in the kingdom of Christ, there is a spirit-wrought unity that truly brings people together. Peoples who otherwise would be separated and distinct, hostile towards one another. And yet, by the Spirit's working, we are knit together to be brothers and sisters, fellow citizens in this transcendent kingdom that can be found on every corner of the globe. Certainly, it is a delightful thing to belong to a kingdom that is as expansive and as unified and harmonious as Christ's kingdom is. And another misconception that we can clear up right away is that because Christ's kingdom is not of this world, we should not expect it to operate by the same means as the kingdoms of this world operate, namely by force. Christ does not come to reign by mere sheer force and power and brute strength. Rather, he comes in the weakness of his word as it is preached. Just the simple witness that one person shares with another that points to this man who is standing before Pilate, willingly laying down his life for the world. And yet through that simple witness and that word, Christ's kingdom comes among us because Christ's kingdom is his ruling activity in the hearts of his people. It's his ruling activity here among us who are in this world, real life, flesh and blood people whom we can see with our eyes, hear with our ears, smell with our noses, reach out and pinch if we want to. And yet it is a kingdom that is not of this world, a kingdom that has claimed us for a higher throne and given us a greater allegiance. And you see how in so doing, as Jesus brings us into his kingdom, he subtly subverts everything. As people are brought into Christ's kingdom, they become at the same time more obedient to the government under which they live because they recognize that government as having been established by God. And yet at the same time, they're less susceptible to the winds of propaganda and political theatrics because we look for a greater hope than any politician or leader or king could ever promise us. And we realize that many of the promises that are made to us here on this earth will not be fulfilled, but the promises that belong to the kingdom of God, these are promises that are sure and firm and will never disappoint or let us down. During this Lenten season, let us fix our eyes on our King, Jesus and see his kingship for what it is, the way that he claims us to come and rule in our hearts so that we might reign with him forever in a kingdom that is truly out of this world. Amen.